So you've kissed the Blarney Stone. You have held up the Tower of Pisa. And now, you're ready to make that big move across the world to Europe? Eh, there's a few things you might want to think about first. Hello there, I'm Rafael DiFuria, back at it again on another Friday night for another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. And this Friday night, I wanted to get into the topic about living in Europe. Some things that, especially if you're coming from the US, that you may have to get used to. While you may think that it's just like moving anywhere else, you go, you find an apartment, you think that it's going to be this wonderful new experience, which it is, don't get me wrong, but there are some very small details in day-to-day -day life, which can be a shock for some people, especially that maybe they've only vacationed here, or maybe you're just going to hop on a plane, jump off and land. Definitely doable, but the first thing that I want to talk about is when getting around, especially public transport, public transport is a big thing in Europe, especially train travel, bus travel to an extent. Whenever you're seeing the times listed, you're going to see it written in what we might call military time or 24-hour time format. And that instead of going from 1 until 12, it goes from 0 until 23. So 0, 0, colon, 0, 0, that is 12 midnight. Or 1, 2, colon, 0, 0, that's 12 noon. Or, for example, 7, colon, 0, 0, or 0, 7, 0, 0, that is 7 o'clock a.m. We just have, are taking out the p.m.s and the a.m.s, and you have to do a little math. Basically, about any time after 12 noon, just minus uh, 12 from the time that you're seeing. So 13, it's 1. 15, it's 3. It's math. Sometimes you get used to it over time. You stop thinking about it after a while. So when you are learning a foreign language, and of course, if you are moving to another country, at least learn the basics and don't just learn, say, one through 12. As far as the numbers go, learn zero through 23. Also, before we get into the rest of the episode, a quick comment question of the week. If you're here watching on YouTube, if you're listening as an audio only podcast, feel free to come on over to YouTube. But if you're thinking about moving to Europe or just traveling here, what are maybe some of the biggest cultural differences or differences in lifestyle that even though many things may be exciting about moving or traveling to Europe, are there any things that you find concerning about moving to Europe or even just traveling? Another thing that may be a little bit strange for some of us coming from the States, at least depending on the generation, is the, the how you address people, how you talk to people, to, to use polite salutations and uh, certain words like sir, madam, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. In the U.S., we have a, and actually the English-speaking world, not completely, but in a lot of the English-speaking world, we have a tendency to be very informal, whereas in Europe, you have a lot of formality. And it's not like, no, it's just sometimes that it's just part of the normal daily interaction. If you're walking into a store in the U.S., it's common to hear the, hey, how you doing? And it doesn't really mean, hey, how are you? Like the person actually genuinely cares. I've mentioned this in previous episodes. So you don't want to walk into a store in Italy and say like, ciao, come stai? Like just walking in the person. <gasps> Excuse me, you don't know me like that. It's a bit too personal. So it's very polite that you walk in, you say hello, good morning, good afternoon. In Portugal, you might actually hear the hola 
like hola bua tarde, hello, good afternoon. In Italy, it could differ. Maybe you'll hear salve instead of ciao. It just depends on what country you're in, and it's important that each different place that you learn, what are the normal ways of speaking? You don't want to, like I said, just walk in, hey, ciao, buongiorno, come stai. No, definitely not what you want to do. But then also, when, like, in the supermarket, for example, especially here in Portugal, I've seen this a lot, uh, like, if you're at a supermarket, for example, and you are in an aisle and you have to pass by somebody, or you need to walk around someone, whatever, it could be anywhere. And if you're in that type of situation, using the words for excuse me seems to be very, very much used here rather than just continuing and walking uh, and going through. Like I've been in plenty of places where nobody thinks twice about that. But here specifically, I've seen a lot of people really pay attention and say con licenza before passing you or trying to get around you and like shoving you out of the way. In other countries I've been to, sometimes they'll just push you out of the way or just push around you or just walk in front of you. So again, depending on where you are, you may want to learn some of these little bits and pieces of the language that, not filler words, although filler words, once you start speaking, will help you to get through certain conversations to understand what some people are saying better and to understand the words that people get hung up on. But another thing that will be different than some other parts of the world is bureaucracy is almost supreme here, especially when you're dealing with things on an international level. Maybe as an individual person, you're not really going to see so much of that. Yeah, if you're working and you have a business, could be a thing. But Different countries in Europe will have different levels of bureaucracy that you have to deal with on a daily basis. In comparison to when I lived in Italy and now living in Portugal, I can say it feels on a day-to-day basis like there's less red tape that you have to deal with. However, when you compare Portugal to the U.S., it's definitely more than the U.S. I've talked to plenty of Americans that come here and are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the red tape and things you have to do here. And I'm like, hey, you haven't been to Italy yet. You haven't tried to live in Italy before. But just before getting into the next section, I do want to say a huge thank you to those of you who help to make content like this possible on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, through patreon.com slash rafaeldifuria, rafaeldifuria.com slash patreon, as well as the purchases of the shirts, mugs, onesies, and more. All of that really helped this project to be able to continue. So thank you also very, very much. And also thank you for subscribing, sharing these videos, and also liking and leaving comments down in the comment section below. But then again, kind of talking about this part of Southern Europe, you have to also consider the differences between Southern Europe and Northern Europe. And in Southern Europe, depending on where you are, and even parts of Northern Europe, you have to really consider what times of day things will be closed, or even days of the week. Sunday, even in some cities, some big cities, you'll find that a lot of things just shut down. Maybe if you're in a center, a tourist center, you'll have more things that are open, and big city, maybe you'll have some stuff going on. But there will be those times of day when you can't go to a store or maybe you can't sit at a restaurant. It's not uncommon. Like, again, Portugal is an example. If you go to a restaurant just a little too late in the afternoon that they're not going to be serving food from, say, maybe 3 o'clock until 7 o'clock, 7.30. Whereas even in Italy, you may find some places that will close down about 2 and then not go until 8 or 9, depending on where you are. It varies greatly depending on whether you're in northern Italy or southern Italy. But I would say, generally speaking, in Europe, the further south you go, the later the mealtimes tend to be. But you do get used to it over time. And this kind of, I don't want to say siesta period, because siesta is more like Spanish kind of language, culture, 
uh, part of the world, but it almost is a similar type of idea, but people go home, they eat, they cook and have a meal with their family, fresh meal. Maybe not everybody does this, but you'll have that time in the afternoon in Southern Europe. Maybe if you get to France, you won't see that as much and you won't have as much time or Germany, maybe, or Northern Europe, maybe you'll have to work so long that you'll actually have to eat at your desk and you won't have that whole huge amount of time. It really, really depends on where you are. But another thing you don't really see as much out in Europe as you do in the States are the 24-hour stores or the mega stores. You do see sometimes like um, like a hypermarket. That's not uncommon to see. You may have to drive out to it. It might not be exactly in the center of a city or really super close. But you'll have access to it one way or another, whether it's through your own car or through public transportation. And a hypermarket, it's kind of like, say, a not quite a Target boutique or a Walmart, more of a supermarket. And they also have other things. But you will find some hypermarkets do have like a clothing section, um, electro-domestic section, depending on the, the specific one. Really, it can vary greatly or it could just end up being a huge huge supermarket. But something like a 24-hour store, those are far less common. Even in cities, yeah, you can sometimes find those stores that are open in the middle of the night, but it's not like you're going to be in some places in the States where maybe you have a 24-hour gas station or 24-hour Walmart. I don't know if that's still a thing. I remember hearing that Walmart stopped doing that. I don't know if they started up again. Anyway, you don't really see that as much. And then also another thing is you have to take into consideration how early things can close. Some places in some cities may have longer hours, but when you get out into smaller cities, you may find that some things will close at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, so you have to take care of all of your shopping before that time. But of course, maybe if you're going to a hypermarket, they could be open a little bit later. You do need a car, and usually they're not so central. You have to get out a little bit for those. But again, just on the topic of even just shopping, This is a different mindset. I mean, there's so many people that talk about, oh, the Americans are such a consumeristic society. And I think in a way that there is some truth to that, but the way that the lifestyle is set up allows for that. You, generally speaking, will have more space available to you. Cars are much more common. I mean, it's not like people don't have cars here, but I know of more families here that will have fewer cars. And I know of families in the States that will have more cars or even other parts of the world where maybe one home will have five cars for each individual within the family, whereas here maybe one car for the same amount of people or two cars for the same amount of people. That's even if you have the parking to begin with. Generally speaking, it does seem as though running a car out in this part of the world does tend to be a little bit more pricey, especially uh, with um, licensing fees, road fees, uh fueling oh now you're paying not by the gallon but by the liter and that can get very pricey very quick and depending on where you are especially in southern europe if you're trying to run an electric vehicle you may not have the same infrastructure that you might have in other parts of the world it's still developing but even in a city like braga which is like what the third largest city in the country there's not a tesla supercharger here There are chargers, but not like a supercharger. So if that's something that's important to you, that's something worthwhile considering. Like I can say, I even know people who have Teslas and they are thinking about selling their Teslas because of the lack of infrastructure here in this area in the country. It's not like you can't find, but again, you don't have the same convenience as you do in maybe other parts of the world. But getting back to the shopping kind of (laughs) before I got on that tangent, 
you don't necessarily have the space to go and store like, say, you do one shopping trip in a month or every few weeks and you just pack up the car and you've got a big freezer out in the garage and a big fridge in the house and another freezer that you keep in a pantry, whatever. Generally speaking, fridges in Europe tend to be much smaller. They're not necessarily as wide or as deep, but sometimes you will find they're taller, so a bit skinnier. And so they don't hold quite as much. Even you can look online at some like home electro domestic stores and find refrigerators and find a specific section of the website dedicated to American fridges because American fridges are kind of this category of larger fridges that can hold a lot more in them. Of course, they can often cost a little bit more to run because you're running more power through it, but not always. You have to just compare, contrast. That's just how life is anyway. So when going for those shopping trips, maybe people will not get as much. Or even, for example, my situation, I don't want to drive here. I have no interest in that at this point in my life. Maybe in the future that'll be a thing. So I just go shopping and carry as much as I can with me. And so I'll go shopping more often. And I know plenty of people who are doing something somewhat similar that they just go shopping more often for fewer items. And it's just a thing that you kind of get used to. So even for me, I can say 13 plus years in a car-free lifestyle, that's just something I'm used to. And I don't even have (laughs) that in my head. Oh, if I need to go purchase a lot of different things, like, no, 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 okay. I'm going to purchase X, Y, and Z that I have for myself for now that I'm going to use. Okay, maybe I have a few emergency things that I keep in my freezer just in case I need them. You never know when you're going to need that emergency piece of chocolate or that emergency ice cream. These things happen, especially in the middle of the night. You never know. It's so important, though, to always be prepared. But joking aside, another thing that can vary greatly between Northern Europe, Southern Europe, and even the States and other countries, the drinking cultures how much a person drinks, when they drink, what the approach is towards alcohol, and the mindset. Like in the States, 21 is the minimum age. In a lot of Europe, the minimum age is 18. Some countries used to have, like Italy, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the past legal to have wine and beer at 16, and then at 18, everything else. I think they took that away, and now it's 18 for everything. But even then, People just don't care the same way in the States. I I can say the amount of times I've been carded in Europe is probably none. Even as a teenager in Europe, I don't ever remember being carded. And even with, if you're with family, people care less, but also depends on the country that you're in. And if it's just a beer or a glass of wine, it's not that really big of a deal. Even in some countries, I believe they have certain rules that If you're at home and if you're with a responsible adult, like your parents, for example, then as long as they allow you to have it, it's not a big deal. Whereas in the States, there's some pretty heavy restrictions on alcohol. But even just drinking in general, people in Southern Europe, you will find people that drink to get drunk, but it depends on the country, of course. But I can say in Portugal and Italy, for sure, that there's more of just this culture of having a drink to kind of color the evening, not to go out, get slush, get trash, let's have a party. No, no, no. It's to just elevate and enjoy a bit more. But also day drinking, it's not necessarily that it's more of a thing, but it's kind of more accepted and more 
normalized within certain kind of situations. Like it's not uncommon to see like an old dude at a bar. And when I'm talking about a bar, I'm talking about what we might actually call a cafe in the States with uh, some like here in Portugal, some like Portuguese fire water, some white lightning. Aguardente is what it's called. And just sipping on that or just downing it. And it's a part of the life, having that enjoyment in the middle of the day and just kind of continuing on or using that as a little pick-me-up or to mix it with coffee. And then also in in Italy, there's the, the mixed alcohol and coffee drink that you can get. And that's just something that some people do. Do some of these people have issues with the substance? Maybe. But again, it's not like, oh my gosh, it's before noon. You're drinking something. No, it's like, okay, whatever. If I'm going to have it, it's a good day. I'm not going to have it. It's also a good day. But even late afternoon in Italy, that's aperitivo hour. You go, you have your Aperol or whatever it is, your Campari, and you're just sitting there, sipping on it. You're having some snacks. You're not there to get trashed. You're just enjoying the afternoon. But another thing that I have seen over the years be a major shock to a lot of Americans thinking about moving to Europe, but even actually not just moving to Europe, but traveling in Europe is air conditioning. And for me, for many years, I was like, ah, who needs air conditioning? Yeah, it's nice. I like it. I enjoy it. But do I need it? No. Now I'm getting to a point in my life where I can say I have a bit more appreciation for it. And if I have the option for it, even for like my computer or hard drives or whatever, they work better when it's cooler inside. And <laughs> so I also work better when it's cooler inside. So I have embraced a little bit of my uh, inner American, <laughs> even after all these years, and I do feel very separated from it. There's certain little things that definitely come back up. When you're looking for an apartment or even a hotel room, having air conditioning isn't always guaranteed. Sometimes you'll have it, sometimes you won't. And then also, Another thing to consider is whether you have single pane windows or double pane windows. Double pane windows, just in general, if you can make sure you're in a place with them, it can really save you a lot in winter and make a huge difference between a bitter, cold, painful winter and a somewhat comfortable, doable winter. Generally speaking, though, in Europe, a lot of people will wear sweaters or even jackets and they'll bulk up a little bit with clothing rather than using some sort of climatization unit like a heater or whatever it may be. But also in Italy, you do find that there are some buildings that have central heating as part of the unit and you'll pay either for your unit specifically or a divided price for the building. That actually is really big to understand in Italy if it's autonomous or if it's part of the communal heating. Because say you use only a little bit of heating during the winter, but your your people in your building are using a ton of heating, that could drive your heating bill up crazy. Or if it's included with your apartment, it all really depends on the type of contract that you have. So personally, I would say if you are looking for that, it doesn't necessarily hurt to have autonomous heating, but it can be a bit pricey. But then also even just in regards to heating, there have been talks within the European Union uh, both at the EU level and also domestic level in some countries, to restrict the usage of air conditioning and heating in the winter, um, even in Switzerland, uh, different things. It's not important to get into in this episode, but uh, in some public buildings, there are some restrictions. I believe in Spain, they recently passed that it can't go below a certain temperature in the summer, mostly for trying to be more eco-friendly. And then also, I believe in Switzerland, there is actually now a limit on personal usage in your home to not go above a certain temperature in winter for heating. These are things that 
there's talks maybe it could be more in more countries, more of these things rolling out, but you never know. I mean, <laughs> impossible to say for sure. This again gets back to my point though about bureaucracy, that there are a lot more aspects of life that do have some little something that goes along with it. You have to sign an extra paper or there's some extra rules or maybe you live in a building and you're not allowed to take a shower after 9 p.m. at night just because the walls are so thin that everybody's going to hear you taking a shower. A lot of Europe does have certain rules that between X and Y time, X time at night and Y in the morning, that you can't make noise during those periods, at least if you're in an apartment, even if you're in a standalone home. But if you're out in the countryside, that's a different story. Anyway, I think this is a great place to round out this episode. So thank you all so much for watching, subscribing, sharing, liking these videos. It really does help the project. But what really does help even more to help this project is the monthly support on Patreon, as well as the one-time donations. You can find the links to that in the more info section below this episode on YouTube. RafaelDiFuria.com slash Patreon, Patreon.com slash RafaelDiFuria, and RafaelDiFuria.com slash support, as well as the purchase of the shirts, mugs, onesies, and more through store. RafaelDiFuria.com. Thank you all so much for joining me for another Friday night for another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. Stay safe and healthy out there, and I will see you all next time. Later. Mm -hmm.